grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good to be with you this morning in person and online. You're joining us at home or wherever you are tuning in at. Thanks for being with us here today. I imagine that you've had a number of meaningful, hopefully memorable conversations in your life. I know I sure have. And I remember not only who they were with, but when they happened, where I was at at the time, and what the circumstances were that led up to them. You're probably running some of those through your head right now. Before my first date, Dad had a meaningful and memorable conversation with me. He took me aside and he talked to me straightforward about sex <gasps> and how to treat a woman. I had a meaningful conversation with my dad again before I boarded the Greyhound bus bound for Chicago to go to Navy boot camp. He took me aside right there on the sidewalk and he said, Bob, keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> I, think he, I think he knew me. <laughs> then there was another meaningful and memorable conversation with my wife, Diana. She had been to a doctor's appointment. I was home in the living room when she came in the door. I was taking care of are already three kids, three, two, and one year old. I was in the living room when she came in through the back door and her eyes were on me. And she walks in the living room with her beautiful brown eyes and a steely gazed look and her hands on her hips. She said, we're having twins. <laughs> like it's my fault. I might have had something to do with it. I've forgotten that conversation, I'll tell you. But perhaps my most meaningful and memorable conversation happened when I was on the highway patrol. I had been sent out to Salina to go to what we call annual in-service training. It's refresher training. All the troops go through every year. And uh, so I had reported out there and uh, checked in. And then I got my dorm room assignment. And I went down to my dorm room, which to give you uh, a visuals about the size of Grace Point bathrooms. Okay. In this dorm room, looks like a college dorm room probably too. Maybe not that big. But there's a twin bed on one side of the wall, a twin bed on the other side of the wall with just enough room between the twin beds for a nightstand and a lamp, there's two small student desks and two chairs. You get the picture? You essentially can walk in and walk out, and that's about all there's room for. Well, I walked in, and I started putting my, my gear away, and I see on the nightstand a Bible. I didn't think much about it. 
But later that night, my roommate, his name is Joe. I'm ready to turn in. I'm tired. I've had a long day. I've been traveling, and it's been a long day. And get myself in the bunk, and so does Joe. And he says, do you mind if I read for a while out of my Bible? I'm going to need to have the light on for a little while. No, go ahead. I did mind. But Joe read in his Bible for a while, and then we shut off the light and went to sleep. We're going through the week, and Wednesday gets here. And our practice was, when we were out there for in-service training with some of my fellow troopers, we would go down to the American Legion, and we'd grab a couple of brewskis, and we'd have some popcorn, and we'd shoot some pool. So I asked a few of my buddies if they'd like to go down to the Legion with me. And they said, sure, so we arranged to go. And then I saw Sam and Joe. And I said, hey, guys, we're going down to the Legion tonight. You want to go with us? To which they replied, "Uh, no, but thanks for the invitation, Bob. Actually, we wanted to talk to you. We're going to church tonight. Would you like to go with us? No. But thank you. So off to the Legion we go. Been there a couple of hours. Just a place to chill and hang out. Tell cop stories, you know. Come back to the, to the dorm at the training academy. And it's about 10 o'clock. Walked in my dorm room. Expecting I was going to turn in for the night. Now I've told you what size this dorm room is, right? You got the picture? I'm not kidding you. There's 10 troopers in there. They're sitting on both beds, they're sitting in both chairs, and they're sitting on the floor because there's no other space. And I remember the conversation very vividly. They were talking about whether or not a native from the deepest, darkest parts of Africa would go to heaven if they had never heard about Jesus Christ if they'd never been told about Jesus Christ? Would they go to heaven? Well, I didn't have any place else to go, and I'm a captive audience here. So I'm sitting on the floor, and the conversation continues, and pretty soon it takes a rabbit trail. And it moves to one of the troops asking, where do you go to church at? He said, First Presbyterian. Starts going around the room, another one says, United Methodist Church. Another one says, Assemblies of God Church. Another one says, I'm a Catholic, I go to St. Mary's. And it makes its way to me. Well, I'd been in a church twice, once for my wedding rehearsal and the other for my wedding. And so when it got to me, I said, uh, Nazarene. That's where I was married at goes on a little bit longer and a feeling starts to swell up inside of me that I can't explain. And it got to the point where I I just burst and I took my hand and I slammed it down on the nightstand that I was sitting by. And I said, fellas, I, I feel guilty about this, but I've lied to you. 
I don't go to church. In fact, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know anything about natives and Africa and Jesus. But let me tell you what's happened to me this week. Because something's happening here and I, have, I don't know what to do with what I'm feeling. I walked in and there's a Bible on Monday on the nightstand and then my roommate Joe, he's reading out of it. And then I come around on Wednesday and I want to go to the Legion with you guys and you invite me to church. And then I come back and this is taking place. One of the guys in the room, a big burly, I'm telling you, he looks like Smokey the Bear, if you know who I'm talking about. I mean, barrel-chested, smooth-talking, but very straightforward, Smokey the Bear kind of trooper named Jerry. He stands up and he says, fellas, we're done here. We're leaving, and Joe's going to stay and have a conversation with Bob. Memorable and meaningful conversations at home, in the car, at a picnic table in the park, at a training academy. I've had them, and you've had many in your life, I'm sure, and I imagine that you'll have more. Before we listen in on what I think, is the most memorable and meaningful conversation in history. I want us to get acquainted with the two folks in this story. One is Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. His mother is Mary. His father is God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the Lord God Almighty, the great I am, creator of heaven and earth. His father is God. Jesus is the son of God. He was a carpenter by trade while he walked on this earth. And he is the savior for all mankind by the will of the father. Sent to earth in human form to reconcile us to God, to, 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 to pay the price for the sin of all humanity, to make us righteous, which essentially means to put us in right standing with holy God, to repair the relationship that was broken by sin. Through Jesus and only through Jesus is our sin forgiven. Through Jesus and only through Jesus are we restored and reconciled into a right relationship with God. Are we forgiven by God? Scripture tells us in Gospel of John, John 3, 16 and 17. You've heard this before, haven't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, Jesus is about 30 years old when he meets with Nicodemus, the other person in our story this morning. Jesus has just begun his public ministry as Messiah and Savior. He's just begun his public ministry, and folks are taking note that he's doing some pretty miraculous things. He's giving sight to the blind. He's giving hearing to the deaf. He's healing cripples who have been crippled for life. He is doing some miraculous things. And the crowds in Jerusalem, they're taking note of this. He's created quite a following. When John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, near the end of his life is having some doubts because of his circumstances, his dire circumstances, and, and where he's at and what's going on with him, he had his mindset that, that the Messiah, that Jesus was going to be this. But he's, his expectations aren't being met, so he has some doubts. So he sends a messenger to Jesus to say, are, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sends him back this message. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John, the evidence is clear and the evidence is present right here and now. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's the one that was foretold about several hundred years earlier by, by, the, by the prophet Isaiah who wrote, of the Messiah when he comes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus is the one. The evidence is clear and the evidence is present. That's Jesus. Then there's Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he's a Jew too. He's identified as Israel's teacher. It was the Pharisees, and he is one, who taught the Bible colleges and seminaries in Israel, and Nicodemus is the best of them all. He was regarded as Israel's most outstanding Bible teacher. Nicodemus was a board member on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish faith ruling council. He served with and interacted with the religious elite to administer and govern the affairs of the Jewish church. 
Nicodemus is among the socially elite in Jerusalem. It would really be easy to picture Nicodemus being on the city council, governing and administering the affairs in the city, making budgets and planning projects and doing what city administrators do. He's also, Nicodemus is also very skilled at what he does. He has to dance in several circles. He has to work with and keep peace with the Romans who are the occupying military force in, in Israel at the time. He has to work with, with Romans. He has to work with with. with Sadducees, he works, of course, with his own party, the Pharisees. He works with Republicans. He works with Democrats. He works with popes. Nicodemus, he knows how to dance in all those circles. Among who's who in Jerusalem, only the high priest was likely better known than Nicodemus. So when Jesus comes into town with this following... Let me tell you, Nicodemus, he knows it. He knows when anybody who's anybody is in town. I mean, frankly, I imagine Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel and those guys were all talking about him anyway. Jesus records at the close of chapter 2, or correction, John, the, the disciple John records in the close of chapter 2 that, that Jesus had been performing many miracles, signs, and wonders. And because nothing escapes the watchful eye of Nicodemus, no doubt he saw some of those. John doesn't elaborate specifically what they were, but Nicodemus knew about them. Perhaps he'd seen them personally. And he knew that they could only have been done by the power of God. So, Nicodemus asked some questions. So he sought out Jesus at night. Why at night? I don't know. Perhaps it's because, well, Nicodemus is quite a figure in Jerusalem and Jesus has got quite a following and they both attract a crowd during the daytime. That probably wouldn't work for a personal conversation. Or, or maybe it's that Nicodemus, well, he really doesn't want to be seen in public with the motley crew and folks that would have been following Jesus around. So they arranged this meeting at night. I'm going to call it Nick at night, okay? <laughs> Nicodemus is about 50 years old at the time that he meets with the 30-something-year-old Jesus. And in the course of history, this may very well be the most memorable and monumental conversation of all time because of what's at stake. It's a conversation that in some fashion has been repeated through the years millions and millions of times. 
because of what's at stake. It's Israel's most outstanding Bible teacher, one-on-one with the author of the Bible. It's, it's, it's Nicodemus, the leader of the church, one-on-one with the creator of the church. It's Israel's most knowledgeable student of the Bible, teacher, one-on-one with the omnipotent. So we're going to pick up our text this morning in in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bibles or on your mobile device, and it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along there. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. You've been sitting for a moment. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Let's listen in to this historic conversation. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. Nicodemus came with questions. Did you notice... I'm not the brightest bulb in the room. You probably did notice. Took me a while to pick up on it. That Jesus answered his question before he ever asked it. So what was the question? What was the question? Well, you see, the kingdom of God and the Kingdom of heaven are often terms that are used synonymously in Scripture. Nicodemus's question, what must have been on his heart, what must have been on his mind because of the way Jesus answered it, and Scripture tells us in many places that God knows our hearts and God knows our thoughts. The question that must have been on Nicodemus's mind and on his heart was, Will I see? the kingdom of God. Asked another way, because those terms are often synonymous, his question being, will I see the kingdom of heaven? And what was Jesus' answer? 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So far, so far Nicodemus has done everything his religion requires. He's he's taken care of every detail in his practice as a devout Jew. Nicodemus has has been born again four times already. You see, in his religious practice as a Jew, in, in, in in, in his experience, a man is born again when he goes through the rite of passage to manhood called bar mitzvah. So at age 13, Nicodemus had been born again. He was born again at age 20. Robbie Gallaty in his book, The Forgotten Jesus, tells us that when you, were, when you get married in Jewish culture at the time, you're born again. When you go through bar mitzvah, you're born again. At the age of 30, when Nicodemus essentially took his first teaching position as a Pharisee, he was born again. And then at age 50, when he's essentially becoming the head of of, of teachers in the rabbinical tradition in Israel, he is born again four times. Nicodemus has been born again, and don't you think he's thinking, good grief, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've excelled. I, what do you mean born again? You see, here's the deal. With all that he's done, with all that he's accomplished, Nicodemus is still on the outside looking in. He won't see heaven from where he is right now. Jesus explains to Nicodemus that his religion that his nationality, that his knowledge, that his good works, none of those are sufficient. He must be born again, born into God's family. Not by water, meaning natural birth or religious rituals, but by the Spirit of God. Ezekiel 36, 26 in the Old Testament tells us that God will put his heart and his spirit in us to move us to follow him. This is all God's doing. And this happens for us today when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Son of God, Lord, and Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, think maybe as gently as he can. He's telling Nicodemus that seeing heaven is not the result of one's religion. Seeing the kingdom of heaven is the result of one's relationship. Being born again is a conversion. It's a spiritual conversion. 
It's a conversion from works to grace. It's a conversion from, from, from uh, uh, religion to relationship. It's a conversion from being centered on you to being focused on God and others. Being born again is a conversion. It's not about how hard you work or how morally good you are or about your knowledge of scripture or about your education. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and he's saying to us this morning, the key is me. I am the son of God, Jesus Christ. Being born again is about a relationship with me. Now, we don't know for sure what decision Nicodemus made when he left the conversation that night, but there is some reason to believe that Nicodemus was born again. No longer would he be on the outside looking in. No longer would he be wondering whether or not he will see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. You know, I, I know a lot of good people who are doing a lot of good things. Regular church attenders, regular servants at Backpack and the Rescue Mission and in the myriad of other ways that they serve. Some have a better foundation and knowledge of Scripture than I do. Good moral people. And if that perhaps describes you in some way this morning, let me say thank you because those things matter. But still, hear the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, no one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We must be born again born of the Spirit of God, and the key, the key is Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul was born again on the Damascus Road when he encountered the risen Jesus. Martin Luther, John Wesley, John Calvin, Billy Graham, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all born again. Tim Hughes, Stephanie Brown, Todd Zimlich, Melvin Ware, Nancy Woodward. All people who sit here with us every day, born again. The Word tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. All of this all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 3, 8 in the New Living Translation, he says, you, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 
But the Bible does tell us, friends, what our part is. It starts with a memorable and meaningful conversation with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It starts in a prayer that kind of looks like this. We must admit our need for Christ. Romans 3.23 explains to us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's good news. Romans goes on to tell us in chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We don't have to, nor do, does God want us to stay dead in our sins. So he sent his son, his one and only son, to be our savior, to cleanse us of our sin, to put us in a right standing with our holy and loving God. Jesus Christ came for that purpose. He who was without sin, who had no sin, willingly gave his life on an old rugged cross that we might have life. That's Jesus. We admit that we are sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ is he. We must choose. We make a conscientious, heartfelt decision to choose to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in him as savior, to ask for his forgiveness and to invite him into our heart to be Lord in our life. We must choose to make that decision, to believe in him. And then we commit our life to following him, to be his disciple, to walk with him the rest of our life. We do this in faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. John 1, 12 tells us that, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And that is what we are. We're family, born into his family. Let me ask you, about as straightforward as I can, have you had such a conversation with the Son of God? Are you? born again? You you see, it's not enough to know about Jesus Christ. Even the demons knew about Jesus. It's not enough to go to church or to work hard or to do all the things that perhaps 
we see a number of Christians doing. It's all about a relationship with Him. That evening at the training academy, Jerry cleared the room. He said, fellows, we're leaving. Joe's going to have a conversation with Bob. And after they left, lovingly, gently, truthfully, Joe led me in a conversation just like the one I'm talking about with Jesus, wherein I admitted that I needed a Savior and I believed that Jesus Christ was He. And I asked Him to forgive me of my sin and to come into my heart and be Lord, and I committed my life to Him. That was 38 years ago. And I'm still following Him today. Let me ask you, church, have you had such a conversation with Jesus? You must be born again to see the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to take this opportunity for you to have a conversation with the Son of God right now. Maybe you've never had a conversation like that. And so you might be like Bob was at the training academy with not a clue of how to go about this. Well, we're going we're gonna to pray right where you're at, in your, in your, in your aisle or in your living room. And I'm going to lead us in that prayer. And I, I want to invite you to make the prayer I lead us in your prayer. You can repeat my words, or you can use your own words in admitting, believing, and committing your life to Christ. You can do that kneeling at the chair in your aisle or at your, at your favorite recliner at home. You can do that holding the hand of a loved one next to you. It's not important what the posture is, what is important is the sincerity of your words that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, Heavenly Father, I sense you're speaking to me right now. And I've heard your word. I've heard your promise. I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe in Jesus Christ, your son, and I accept him now into my heart as my Lord. And I commit my life to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, 
God's word tells us that all heaven is rejoicing over you right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to leave here in a moment and beat you out into the lobby. Would you, would you please just stop by? Give me a elbow bump or a fist bump. Hey, I'm, I'm done with COVID, been there and done that. I think I'm safe to be around. If you want to give me a hug, I like hugs. But I just really want to rejoice with you. That's why I'd like for you to stop by and tell me that you prayed that prayer. I want to celebrate with you. And at the risk of sounding like a TV evangelist, if you're at home watching with us or wherever you are, if you prayed that prayer, my email address is on the screen. I would love for you to drop me a note and let me know that you did. You know, here at Grace Point, we do a lot of good stuff. Love this church and I love our ministries. I love our team and you people. We do a lot of good stuff, but you know why we exist, don't you? We exist first and foremost to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So your pastors, every one of us are here 24-7, 365 to come alongside you and to help you. We have out at the Connection Center in the lobby, we have what we've put together called the Next Steps Guide. If you're here this morning and would like one of these, I'd like to give it to you. It just is, is some good information about some next steps to take in your spiritual journey. And if you're at home, we'd love to get one to you. Just let us know and we will make that happen. It's been a day, hasn't it? Praise his holy name. Would you stand with me? I'm excited for you and I'd like to offer this blessing over you. And then you give me a chance to get out the door, okay? I want to be out there to see you. You're beautiful. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace as you live a life of faith in him. God bless you.